Thank you for being with us today. We would love to have you join us in person. To partner with us or to give online, go to www.upperroomohio.com. We hope you enjoy this message. more often. It feels so amazing. Man, Nicole doesn't give me that kind of treatment when she introduces me. She's like, I need like an introduction every time. No, I'm just kidding. All right, how are you? I'm, uh, I'm surviving. Nicole and uh, about seven other women are in Mexico at our church there, and uh, they're having a phenomenal time. Uh, she sent me pictures. They did a women's evening for just our church on uh, Friday night. And there was probably 50 women there. And then um, last night, they had yesterday, yesterday morning, early afternoon, they had a women's tea. And uh, she sent me pictures. It was amazing. They had over 130 women there. And then women kept coming. And they had to keep pulling out chairs and tables. And so overflow and all this stuff. So anyway, they're, they're reaching a city there. And we, the, the church, it's crazy. When Josh, um, Jason, and Steve and I went there, uh, when was that, August, September, early September? Somewhere around Labor Day, I believe, that weekend. Um, we felt there was, a, there was an upgrade at Renovacion de Vida. We felt like... Like they were just like got this wind and they're just they're reaching a city and impacting it. Well, then since then, Armando, our pastor there, uh, was placed as the president of all Christian churches in the city. Uh, so he's leading that. So they're doing these things here. He's creating unity in the city. He's creating a, a, a body, a bride. And it's really awesome. So a lot of those women then came yesterday and pastor's wives and uh, leaders of churches. So uh, impacting a region. And uh, so th that we're just so proud of our church there and thankful that we get to be, just be a part of that and invest and uh, pour out and receive from them. And Nicole and I were texting late last night, and I texted her, I said, I should not have had the Nespresso at 8 p.m. She's like, I should have not had the latte at 9 p.m. So we're both, and then we're sending, like, these pictures back and forth. Anyway, um, so we're like... We just said it feels like it's it's not just our sister church or uh, our daughter church or some of the ways that we've honestly kind of treated it, but it feels like it's upper room. And I said, I feel like this weekend even I started to feel a conviction to treat it as such, you know, and we're just going there and it's just so amazing in, in Armando, man. He just blessed me so much when I was there and uh, how I get to have the opportunity to receive and it's not a project. It's not this... Uh, this this service project or this missions missions project it's it's us and uh, they're just south of the border past the wall so at any rate <sighs> anyway uh, it's just amazing and uh, God doesn't see race he doesn't see color he doesn't see poverty he sees his sons and daughters and uh, we you get to be a part of this so anyway uh, back to I'm just surviving my kids have eaten. Uh, I forgot to give them the green beans last night. Nicole said, if you're going to give them hot dogs and mac and cheese, at least give them green beans. We get all the way through the meal. I'm like, I forgot the green beans. And they're like, it's all right, Dad. <laughs> I'm like, of course you say that. So we've not called the squad. We've not been in the emergency room. They have eaten, and they've got a few hours sleep. So we're good. They can sleep in tomorrow. Um, it's Dad weekend. Man, we're in this fun series, and I'll be honest with you, it has done something in me. It has created even a greater hunger in me for the generations. There's something happening in a convergence here. There's something that has lit me up. Um, a few, a couple months ago, if this is your first few times with us, we welcome you, and we're so glad you're here. 
we, we did a show of hands, who's, who's a millennial or a Gen Z? And about 80% of the church raised their hands that were under 35 years old, 35 and under. And, and about 80 to 85% of you in here are in that range. So it awakens something in me that the Lord is doing something here. The last year we've had this, the last three years, this, this flood of millennials and Gen Zs coming who are hungry for Jesus. And then we've got this, the 15% that are hungry to pour out and reach a generation. And there's this thing that's happening that I'm calling a generational movement where there's a convergence of generations coming together to advance the kingdom. The Bible says that the, the kingdom is forcefully advancing and forceful men and women lay hold of it. There's something that's happening in here and, and we're trying to like, we're in leaders meetings like trying to figure this out and we're, we're trying to figure, okay, what do we do? How do we steward this? How do we disciple them? How do we reach them? And, and it's just this creative way and, and here's what I think. I think what's happening is because this is, this is what's so exciting. What's, what's fun about this is it is the largest group of people exiting the church in the United States today. That generation in larger volumes than any other generation are leaving the church or never finding Christ. And it's an epidemic that's happening in Christianity in, in America that's a travesty that denominations and organizations and ministries are trying to figure out. When we're trying to figure out the opposite, what do we do? What do we do with these young people? How do we, how do we disciple them? How do we teach them spiritual disciplines? How do, how do we lead them to their destiny and their dreams and their anointings and callings and giftings of God? And, and I believe this. I don't believe they're being drawn to programs and religion. There's pockets that's going on. Listen, 70,000 people between the ages of 18 and 25 showed up in Atlanta to a passion conference who were hungry for Jesus. They're not hungry for religion. They're not hungry for a program or a pretty building. They're hungry for a move of God. Uproom Dallas, us, there's these things that, listen, there's, there's the old wineskin and there's the new wineskin. And I believe there was a season for the old wineskin and the things that, that our generations ahead of us and the fathers and the grandfathers above us have done and stewarded. Now we get to take that to a new wineskin. And I believe this. I believe they're being drawn to a new wineskin of worship with presence tangible encounters. I believe this generation is drawn to authenticity and genuine relationships. And there's something that's happening here. They feel, that I feel you guys feel the realness of, of like even me and the other leaders here. And, and what's happening is we're planting Jesus in the center. We're planting presence in the center. And we're building around him rather than asking, asking him to build around us and what we're doing and planning. The agenda here is Jesus. And I believe this. This generation is hungry for the authentic, real Jesus. They're hungry for worship that they can feel, that penetrates their hearts, that they can come into an encounter and sing about what a beautiful name he is. There's no rival. There's no equal. Listen, mountains tremble. Rocks cry out his name. There's something that's real, and it's beautiful what's happening here, that there's a generation being reached, and there's a generation that's hungry for Jesus, and we get to be a part of it. And rather us figuring out why are they all leaving, we're getting to figure out how do we get them to keep coming, and how do we get them to stay, and what do we do with them? We become one with them, that's how. And we just show up, and we allow Jesus to do his thing, and we lead him to the real Jesus, the real Holy Spirit, the real God. Not this God that's waiting to judge them, but this Father who's waiting to love them. 
this father who's always continually loved them and forgiven them and, and embracing them and calling them in, calling them home. That's what I believe is happening here. God is using this place. This is a pivotal time right now. You guys, this is amazing. I'm blown away that we get to be a part of calling children home to reach their destinies and encounter a really amazing father, a best friend, a companion, a groom who's calling his bride home. And we get to be a part of this, and it is historical, and it is great, and I am honored and privileged to be a part and to steward this and to bring a convergence to the merging of these generations. Listen, if you're here, your time's not up. If you're here, you're called for such a time as this. And if you're here, you were born to reach this generation, the people around you, your neighborhood, your sphere of influence, your industry, your children, your grandchildren, your future spouse, your future children. Listen, this is what you were born for. And God didn't make a mistake when he created you. You were fearfully and wonderfully made. And he was a genius and a very creative artist to put you right now in this place and this time. Yeah. And it's amazing. So let's continue. Week three. Week three is going to be fun. Nicole's been complaining. I was on Amazon a couple weeks ago trying to look for a bigger table. I want like a live edge cool piece of wood, and I'm just not willing to settle, and I can't find it, but I don't know what to do with all of this. <laughs> I'll just go with two here. All right. I can't do that. That just feels like prison to me. Don't call me or text me for a while. We'll do this. All right. As you can tell, I'm not the organized one in the house. All right. I just want to do a quick recap. Uh, I get to be more brief this service than the last service because I preached a totally different message to you guys than 9 a.m. last week. So I don't have to catch you up on that. Week one was, was launching this series about arrows and arrows hitting the targets, arrow 2.0. We talked uh, last couple years about like arrows, sharpening arrows. The, what, the Bible says that we, the church, essentially are called to equip the believers for the work of their ministry. We are called to equip you, to empower you, to release you, and to sharpen your arrows so when you hit your target, your anointing, your gifting, your calling, your dreams, you hit it and it's right in the bullseye where you're supposed to. Now, many churches, many ministries, they paint this big target, like this one. They paint this big target, and then they ask everybody else to point and shoot and hit that one. What we're trying to do is break that paradigm to say, we're here to equip you for the work of your ministry so you can hit your targets. If this is your first week here and you didn't get a big target, on the way out, on the table on the left, there's targets and postcards. That target, we wanted you as a family, as a home, whatever that looks like for you, to, to put on there your mission statement. What is your legacy? What is your dash? What is, what is it that God's calling you and your family to? Maybe your kids are gone and grown. We'll figure, bring them back in and figure out what have we done, what are we doing, and what are we going to finish doing? That's the big target. Then we did these cards, and we said 20 dreams in 2020 as well as 20 dreams for 20 years. Changing our mindset from dreams to legacy. Dreams are in the future, but legacy is left for the future. Legacy is what I paid. Legacy is what I leave behind. It's not what I leave in people that matter. It's what I leave, I'm sorry. It's not what I leave to people that matter. It's what I leave in them that matters. It's this thing of legacy changes when I think from one year to 20 years. When I think of $1,000 to $50 million, it changes the way I think. So that first week was talking about what's your target? What are you called to do? And now we come alongside each other and we help each other and we, we iron sharpens iron, 
arrows sharpen arrows to hit your targets. Last week, I talked about this generational movement, and, and if you weren't here, we talked about an arrow really representing generational synergy. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, meaning the tip of the arrow oftentimes is who's being sent to battle, that younger generation. And we oftentimes think that that's the most important uh, piece of this arrow. But the reality is the, the back, this area here, this is these feathers, this is what guides the arrow. So this is the older, the more mature, the experienced generation that actually guides and sends the younger generation to battle. And in this synergy, we get to advance the kingdom and see these young people be released to their destinies. At the same time, we as Christians and believers move in and out of all three at any given time. When I'm at the table with Lave or another minister or, or anybody, really, a friend, I at times get to be sharpened and I get to receive and I get to receive a prophetic word, receive value, receive being poured into. And at other times I'm pouring out and I'm discipling and I'm, and I'm encouraging and I'm championing and that would be on this side. It's talking about that generational convergence and then valuing the two generations, the moms and the dads and the sons and the daughters. And we use this as a point of reference. We use this as a traditional bow. This would be the experienced, mature generation. Remember last week I said, I'm not, I don't usually say older generation, and I said it, trying to avoid that. So this is that, that traditional bow. This is the old way of doing things, right? This might be the good old days, but it still works, and there's value in it. And there's something special about honoring those who have went before us, honoring our history, being content where we are, but looking forward to our destiny, our future. It's this God is, is, the, is the God of the past, present, future. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So, so we value those who have went before us. We value the history. If we forget history, we're going to repeat it. And we get to learn from it. So, so this works, right? But this is the new generation. And, and this is a very technologically advanced bow. This is a Matthews bow. It's got a Can-Am system, a pulley system. It's got all these sweet rad looking things on it all right now we might have to have a youngster figure us how to teach how to teach us how to use this or all the buttons on our phone or whatever else it may be I'm like I had uh, Eli teach me how to use the new Instagram how do you do those stories again that this is the new generation now I, I've got a funny story Nicole's grandma and grandpa a few years ago they bought a new Buick they've always had a Buick for years and years they've had a Buick and it's always a red four-door Buick. And they got a new one. And the new one had all this, these buttons and all the different radio. I said then, I said, they should develop a jitterbug Buick. It's a new car, but with all the old buttons, you know? It's like easy. They don't need to learn anything. So Nicole's little brother, she, he's out there teaching their grandma and grandpa how to use the Bluetooth and how to turn on the heated seat and how the windshield wipers work and, and how to turn on the radio. Listen, there's a value in, in what's happening here and what happens in the kingdom and life forever. Like, it's always been this thing. If you look at quotes, the same quotes we're saying now about the generation coming up is the same thing that was said 50 years ago about the generation coming up. They're different because they need to reach a generation that's different. So all of a sudden, I realize as a generational movement that both work. Both are valuable. Both are needed. It's, it's not either or. It's and both. 
So then we value the past, but we're making way and pouring into the future. And actually, now I'm not irritated about them, what they wear and their pants sagging and their shoes that are so colorful and all these things, right? I'm not getting ticked off that the music's loud when I come in here. I'm in the perspective of like, man, I hope this reaches somebody today. I told you guys last week there was a guy that showed up at the 9 a.m. With, with a young man. Never been to a church in his life. It's never even heard about the salvation prayer, the sinner's prayer, born again, never heard any of this. I'm talking to him after church. I was like, have you ever asked Jesus in your heart? He's like, I don't know what you mean. I've heard of Jesus, but I, I was, he's like, I said, well, have you ever prayed and asked in your heart, asked for forgiveness of sins? And he's like, I don't, what's sin? What are you talking about? And I said, listen, there's, there's this thing, Jesus died on a cross. What, what do you mean by that? I have to go back and I have to explain what the gospel is. I have to explain who Jesus is in the cross. And it was absolutely phenomenal. He came back today on the seventh day, seven days later, and you're going to make note of this, seven days later, and now it's his hundredth day of sobriety being cleaned from meth, and seven days as a new believer. Last week, he accepted Jesus in his heart. He said prayer, and now he's coming back, and he's getting discipled, and this is a beautiful picture, and he's a young man who's just got his license back. He's getting his life back. He got an apartment. Like, he is coming alive, and he was dead to sin. He was dead in his trespasses, but now he's alive, and he's a new creature in Christ. It's fun to see this come together, so let me, let me move on with this week. Next week, we're gonna, it's titled, It's Time to Go. So how? It's time to go. Now, now how? How do we go? How do we do this? How do we mentor a generation? How do, we, how do we get fed by a more mature generation? How do we create this merger? How do we create this movement? And how do we have this convergence? And that's next week, this week. It's, I don't know what it's called, but it's going to be good. <laughs> Let's go with don't lose heart, don't give up. That's a good title. That's today's title. 2 Kings 13. My dad, like, used to be the most creative with titles. He'd be like, it was always like, read the scripture, give the title, and now let's pray. And, like, the title was the big deal. Like, I, every service was like, what's the title? What's it going to be? And my dad was the best at titles. I, I don't name them until they go on Vimeo. I'm like, ah, let's call it this. 2 Kings 13. I want to start with this story that I left out last week. We're just going to continue from here. And, uh... Two, three hours will be good, all right? You're in for a treat. Like some people come to the 9 a.m. because they know there's a cap. They know by 1045 they're out of here because the next group's coming in. So they're like, 1030, let's do the hour and a half. We're done. You know, this, today you guys have a cap, all right? I've got to be, did I tell you where i got to be? i got to be in Arcanum by 150 for the basketball game of Olivia and then to Sydney for volleyball by 4. So let's get it on. 2 Kings 13 says this, 14 through 19. Now, when Elijah had fallen sick with illness of which he was to die, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father. There's a spiritual context here of a father and a son, essentially. And he says, The chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elijah said to him, Take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. Then he said to the king of Israel, Draw the bow. And he drew it. And Elijah laid his hands on the king's hands. He said, open the window eastward, and he opened it. Then Elijah said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the arrow of victory over Syria, for you shall fight the Syrians and Aphek until you have made an end to them. And he said, take the arrows. He took the arrows, and he took them, and he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. 
So he's saying strike the ground. So he strikes the ground. He struck the ground three times. Then he said to the man of God, was angry. The man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck the ground five or six times. Then you should have struck down Syria until you have made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. Now, here, here's the thing. I think sometimes in, in our culture, we tend to want to hit the easy button. And, and I'm just saying in life, in general, there's not always an easy button. You know, Adam and Jenny, they've been, they've been through a rough year. Leah was mentioning she's been through a rough year. We've shared our story this year. There's, there's been many of you that's a rough year. And, and instead of striking that ground five or six times, you, you stop at three. If I can't charge it, if I can't get it on Amazon, now I'm inconvenienced. There's this easy culture, there's this quick culture, there's this thing that's, that's, that's going on with, with the generation coming up and, and our current generation that is, it's easy, it's now, it's quick, and let's get it done. Sometimes there's, there's seasons and there's sometimes there's things that are worth fighting for. Sometimes covenant will cost you a little bit. Sometimes there's things that are worth an investment. Sometimes there's, there's, we should have went four times. Or five times or six times, but we gave up at three because it got hard. Or maybe because we weren't hearing the voice of the Lord and we only saw the natural. At times we're like, okay, that's a roadblock or must not be meant to be. Listen, if the Lord says it's meant to be, it's, it's meant to be. And a lot of battles are won through faith, submission, and obedience. The faith to trust God, the faith to believe and see the unseen, and the trust and the obedience to submit to his authority and oftentimes, even spiritual father's authority or, or, or those who can speak into my life or who I trust, like moms and dads, there's those people that we allow to, to mentor and influence us. Here, you have this king that's going to Elijah, and, and he's saying, listen, strike the ground. He didn't say how many times. But as a father figure, he's saying, strike it. And then what he's expecting is for this king to hear from the Lord to know how many times, because the prophet was saying it needed to be six times. But he stops at three. Let me, let me go to this verse. Hebrews eleven thirteen, says this. I'm gonna, it's going to be a lot of heavy scripture today. These heroes all died still clinging to their faith, not even receiving all that had been promised to them. Listen, we've been talking about a generational movement that when you find something you're willing to live for, you'll find something you're willing to die for. If you're willing to die for something, you're also willing to live for it. Now, now here's, here's the deal with that. There are things, like, like we take David, we take Moses. This says the old men will dream dreams, the young men will see visions. Listen, David had a, had a dream to, build the, to rebuild the tabernacle. Moses had a dream to get into the promised land, but they didn't do it. The prophets and the word of the Lord came and says, no, it's not going to be you. With the circumstance with David, he said, it's not going to be you, it's going to be your son Solomon. So, so David had this dream, but Solomon had the vision to fulfill it. Moses had the dream, but Joshua had the vision to fulfill it. You see, here's the deal. Many times then what happens is, okay, it's not going to be me. I'm just going to give up. No, David worked the rest of his life to leave an inheritance, a legacy to the next generation. He lined up all the craftsmen, all the goldsmiths, all the finances, the resources, all of this to set up Solomon and his generation to rebuild the tabernacle. Now, here we come to Hebrews. It says, these heroes all died still clinging to their faith, not even receiving all that had been promised to them. It says, but they saw beyond the horizon the fulfillment of their promises and gladly embraced it from afar. They saw beyond the natural. They saw beyond the difficulty. They saw beyond what's at hand or the battle they might be facing because they saw the eternal. It goes on to say this, they all lived their lives on earth as though who belonged to another realm. 
There's something with a spiritual atmosphere. There's something that's an eternal realm, a spiritual realm that goes beyond our feeling. It goes beyond the pain. It goes beyond the circumstance. It goes beyond the natural. See, listen, there's some things that are worth fighting for, and there's some things that vision gives that pain a purpose. If I can see the promised land, then I can endure the 40 years to get there. If I can see what the tabernacle is to be, I can endure the pain to get there. If I can see these things, this vision gives that pain a purpose, and I can pay all the way through even if I don't see it to completion. That's a generational movement that means I'm willing to give my life for this thing even if I don't see it all the way through fruition. Let, let, me, let me carry on here with a story. Joshua 5 is where we'll be. Joshua 5, 1 through 9. Two illustrations I'm going to use today is involving the seven times marching around Jericho and the seven times dipping in the Jordan. There's something significant about the number seven. There's something significant that goes into seven spiritually, prophetically. Uh, it means to completion or perfection. See, here, here's the fun thing. In Genesis, when he's talking about the seventh day, the first six had day and night, but the seventh was continual. It was actually to never stop. It was eternal. And it's amazing that on the seventh day, we rested to be rest forever for eternity. Now, now, here's the other thing. The first verse of the Bible in Hebrew is seven words. The second one is 14. I love these things because as I look at pictures in the Bible like Elisha and Elijah, Elijah had a portion of this anointing. The mantle fell and Elisha got the double portion. It's this double portion anointing from the sevens of completion. Now listen, we may want to stop at the three. We may want to stop at the four or the five or the six, but sometimes God's calling us to completion even when we think it's good enough. Let, let, me, let me move on with this story. This is a story that in Jericho, Joshua 6, they're, they're going, and now Joshua's taking the Israelites into Jericho. They're marching around the battle of Jericho, the promised land, and it wasn't on the sixth day. It was on the seventh. It wasn't on the fifth time around or the sixth time around. The seventh time, boom, something happens. Listen, I'm encouraging you today, don't give up because you're not seeing it on round three. Don't give up because you're not seeing the breakthrough this year or, or this week or, or 2016 or 2017. Don't give up because the seventh one may just be around the corner. Let me read this story to you because I need to go backwards before we know the context of the promised land. Now, here's what happened. Moses had this dream and, and this thing to conquer and to go into the promised land. It was promised land. It was a land that flowed with milk and honey, and the Lord promised this to the Israelites, and they, they flee Egypt. If you're not familiar with this story, it's an amazing thing about the plagues, and the king, Pharaoh, wouldn't let them go, and, and finally they go. And an 11 to 12-day journey took 40 years. They're wandering in the wilderness for 40 years. Moses ends up not being able to fulfill this assignment so Joshua's the next generation that comes in and he's going to take the Israelites to the promised land but in chapter 5 something has to happen before they go and cross that Jordan to the promised land we'll pick up there at that time the Lord told Joshua make flint knives and circumcise the second generation of Israelites so Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the entire male population of Israel at Gilbeloth Haraloth Joshua had to circumcise them because all the men who were old enough to fight in battle when they left Egypt had died in the wilderness. Those who left Egypt had all been circumcised, but none of them born after the exodus during the years in the wilderness had been circumcised. 
the Israelites had traveled in the wilderness for 40 years until all the men who were old enough to fight in the battle when they left Egypt had died. For they had disobeyed the Lord, and the Lord vowed he would not let them enter the land of the sworn, that he had sworn to give to us, a land flowing with milk and honey. It says this, So Joshua circumcised their sons, those who had grown up to take their father's places. For they had not been circumcised on the way to the promised land. After all the males had been circumcised, they rested in the camp until they were healed. Then the Lord said to Joshua, Today I have rolled away the shame of your slavery in Egypt, so that place has been called Gilgal to this day. Now, there's several different versions of this, and there's a, a deep context here. Now, here's basically what's happening. They have journeyed through this process, and they've went on this journey with their fathers and even grandfathers to the promised land. Now, the older generation, before they, they had exited and before they had the exodus into this 40-year journey, they had been circumcised. But this new generation had not. Now, here's the thing. Circumcision is a symbol, it's all the way to Genesis, of covenant. It's a symbol of covenant. It's what the Lord asks in exchange and gives covenant, and it's a symbol of that. So here's what's happening. Now, now, there's a lot of stuff going on here, but here's what's happening. This next generation is going to go to battle. This next generation is going to, to march around Jericho. They're going to enter the promised land. But here's the problem. Joshua gets there. He arrives to the dried-up Jordan, and he gets there, and he says, but wait, wait. Our granddaddies and our daddies have been circumcised, but... But we haven't. So the Lord says, this next generation, it's going to cost something. But the covenant's worth it. So Joshua's saying, listen, our dads have paid a price for this, but it hasn't cost us much yet. And he's saying, before we go to battle, I need to make sure you got my back. I need to make sure you're all in. I need to make sure we've got covenant because we're about to go to war. <laughs> now here's something that's really amazing. In one version, it says that they reproached, they, they reset, they, they reflected in their rest on all that their fathers had given them. Now, as they're healing and as they had just been circumcised to re-sign up, to commit, to say, I'm all in. Listen, that costs something. Covenant costs something. Covenant isn't free. Let me just tell you this. Covenant can get messy. Covenant is in relationship, it's in the context of family, it's in the context to say, I'll take a bullet for you, even if it's at times from you. That's covenant, it costs something. And this generation hadn't paid it yet. Now, but here's what they did. In their rest, they reflected and they paid honor to all of what the generation before them had, and they tucked it in their heart before they went forward. First off, anytime we go, we should always be going from rest. It should, it, it's going to cost us something, but we go from rest. But then we always pay honor to those who have went before us, and we reflect, and we tuck that on our heart. We don't just say, oh, our parents don't know anything. The generation before us, they, they don't know anything. We're smarter. We're better. We know it all. No, if we want to be properly equipped for battle to take our promised land, to kill the giant, to take out Goliath, then we better tuck in the history, and we better tuck in our fathers and our grandfathers and the movements that have went before us and, and what the Word says. But it was seven times, seven times. Then all of a sudden, boom, promised land's theirs. Let me move on to this, this next story. It's Naaman, and it's when, when Naaman is a leper, he has leprosy, this condition. It's essentially a flesh-eating disorder, this nasty disease that is just gross and stinky and smelly, and it numbs your senses and your nerves, and, and it's just really disgusting. 
And Naaman had obviously depleted his natural resources and his doctors and all of those that could maybe help him with medicine of that time or whatever it might be. And he comes in and he goes to Elijah and he, and he considers Elijah a man of God and, and he takes his army and his men and they go there. And then here's what Elijah says in, in this story, in case you want to read further, it's 2 Kings 5. We're only going to read one verse from it. 2 Kings 5, and, and they get to this place and... I'll be honest, Elijah says, okay, that's fine. Go dip in the Jordan. How many times? Seven times. Now, here's the amazing thing about the Jordan. It's where Jesus was baptized. It's also a river that represents, that's a symbolic thing of death. Now, now let me continue on here. So, he goes, says, go dip in the Jordan seven times and you'll be healed. Now, Naaman gets really mad. He's like, you're kidding me. I brought all my men here. I came all the way to you, this man of God, and you're not going to pray for me. You're not going to heal me. You're going to send me down to the Jordan. Yep, uh-huh. Yep, that's it. So he gets mad. One of his men says, now listen, if a man of God is telling you to go dip down in the Jordan, then you should go dip down in the Jordan. He's like, okay, all right, fine, I'll do it. And I don't know if that was out of just spite, rebellion. Maybe he was just at that point at the, at the last resort or if there was a faith realm. Either way, if there wasn't a faith realm, he may have stopped at three. He may have stopped at four or five or six. But he started to see past the natural. He started to see past the atmosphere of what we can see in front of us. And he started to see in the faith realm. And on that seventh time, here's what happens. Verse 5, 14. It says this. 2 Kings 5, 14. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times. As the man of God had instructed him, and his skin, now here's, here's what's really fun in this generational message, and his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child, and he was healed. The Bible says in, in Psalms, I believe, 103.5, it says, he'll renew our youth like an eagle. Isaiah 40 talks about don't, don't grow weary. It says even in our youths, we'll grow weary, right? We'll grow tired. At times, we need the other generation to pick us up. But here's what happens to Naaman on that seventh time. Not, not three, not four. He didn't stop at five or six. It was on that seventh time, boom, he's healed. And the, and the Lord heals him, and he renews his skin. He renews his health as a young child. He's calling us to completion. He's calling us to perfection. He's calling us that number seven is something really special. It's divine. He's calling us from rest. It may cost something. It may be not easier than what we thought it was going to be. It may be a little more complicated. It may not turn out the way we thought. I'm going to end in a moment with a story. Like, it may look different. But if the Lord says something and he gives us a promise, they're, they're without void. They're yes and amen. It's his yes. It's his promise. It's our amen, our process. We've got to step out of the boat to walk on the water. We've got to actually go. But we go from rest, and we go in a faith realm and submission and obedience to what the Lord's saying, and we don't stop at five. We don't stop at six. And just maybe, just maybe on that seventh one. The last couple years, I, a couple years ago before my, my current position, I got to be a part of what we call the QRT team at the fire department, and it's a quick response team. And we go out every Wednesday, anybody who overdosed on uh, opiates or opioids, and, and we offer them the opportunity for, for services and uh, treatment right there. They can come in our car, we take them to Miami County Recovery Council, and they go to treatment right there, on the spot, unannounced, we show up, and we have about a 50% success rate, and about 50% of them get clean. 
So about a 25% success rate, which is astronomical compared to national, even state standards. Amen. Yep. Which, let me brag on Steve Justice who, and Matt Simmons, who were at the 9 a.m., uh, our fire chief, my brother, and an attorney saw an epidemic, saw a problem, gathered a grassroots movement in Miami County, and created a solution. And part of the solution was this team being developed. Amazing, right? Targets. Targets. One of the things I learned in this process, in about two years, I met 100 heroin addicts. And I got to prophesy and pray and encourage them and be with them and, and champion them. One of the things I learned is there's not an addict I met that wanted to be an addict. And there's not an addict I met who didn't have a story. And I went out with this counselor every week named Mike Bessler. He's a really great dude. And uh, he used this term Every time we went out, no matter how many times this person had relapsed, no matter how many times this person had failed and lied to us, you know, all these things, he said, this week I'm cautiously optimistic. And, and he and I, we were, we were just super optimistic. We are like, this could be the week, Mike. That, that could be the last time for her. This could be the last one. Maybe, maybe she's at her bottom now. Maybe, maybe this is it. Maybe this transition and moving to this new place, or maybe this, maybe that, maybe this is it. Statistically, an addict relapses 11 times who want to be clean prior to being clean. An addict who's trying to be clean on average 11 times. So maybe not the sixth, maybe not the eighth, maybe not the tenth, but this could be the 11th time. Don't give up. Don't lose heart. Listen, your dream might look different. 2 Corinthians 4.16, last verse I'll read. It says this, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 18. This is just a good, encouraging verse. It says, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. Listen, this is, this is we got to see beyond the natural, see beyond the exterior, because there's something bigger. There's something eternal. There's something in the interior, something in the inside. And it says this, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs them all. Listen, our legacy goes beyond what we can see. Our legacy goes beyond what we can pour into even right now. Our legacy goes beyond that, and it moves into the eternal when we're thinking 100 years, when we're thinking in the generations. And then it closes in to say this. It says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Seen, uh, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Listen, we fix our eyes on the things that are unseen. There's something bigger going on that's beyond the two, that's beyond the three. It might be the six. It might be the seven. It might be that 11th time, and boom, here it is. There's something that's powerful that's happening in this convergence that we get to cheer each other on and say, listen, it took Jericho seven times. Even Jesus had to pray for somebody twice before they were healed once. That's why I never stop at one. I'm like, okay, we'll try one more time. Jesus took him twice once, so we'll do that. Listen, don't give up. Don't lose heart. You were born for such a time as this. This is your moment. This is your time. You weren't an accident. I don't care how you came into this world. You weren't an accident. I don't care the word curses that are over your life. I don't care about the generational things ahead of you. Listen, I don't care about statistics or the number that you're known in the court system. You're a son. You're a daughter of God, and you were meant for legacy. You were meant for a generational blessing to advance the kingdom and bring him glory. Let me share one last story. Adam, you can come. Heather, she's amazing. There you are. 
I was like, I knew you were on that side. It's funny. Some people be like, were you looking at me or did you see me texting? I'm sorry if you saw me. I was like, I don't look at anybody. I just kind of look and I don't know who's where. I don't. Thank God he's allowed me just to remove that distraction. Crying babies don't bother me. The phone's ringing don't bother me. Um, just my kids distracting me sometimes bother me. It's funny how that happens, isn't it? But Chloe, girl, stop. So, so Heather, she's, she's been with us several years. One of, uh, it, it's kind of funny. We have like original members, then we have like old building members, and now we have like new building members. So she's one of the old building members, not original, but old building, talking nine years, eight years, or somewhere in there. So she came to us and, and her family and single and just an amazing woman of God. And we begin to hear her story, and, and I'll share it without some of the personal details. And she shared it publicly here uh, when we did the series called My Story. And, right, you did that. You were part of that. Okay. With youth, I know, and some others. You shared it several times. At any point, she, she has this dream, and through school and as a child, she was a dancer. And, and uh, she had hopes of being a dancer, maybe pro, maybe something. I don't know. What, what was your ultimate aspirations as a child? Ballet? Was that your? So she gets a full scholarship and uh, goes to college at least to dance, and and she's there and through a series of events and different things and blessing and whatever, things changed, and and then she comes to Upper Room, you know, a little bit time later, and we get to know her and we get to hook her up with her now husband Kurt, but. She begins to tell us her dreams. Her dream was to be a dancer, and through some things that, that didn't work out. We're like, well, well, we actually love creativity and arts and dance. And, and have you ever thought about that? And all of a sudden, she starts dancing and forms this dance team. And, and if you were here for Christmas services, the Christmas celebration services, there was this beautiful dance that went on that she led and, and choreographed and was a part of, that she leads that ministry. Now, here's the other thing. A couple years ago, she had a dream to start a business, maybe have a dance studio, a dance, a dance school. And we made room, and it kind of worked out one night a week. She used one of the rooms in the church and started up a dance uh, school, dance studio kind of business. And it worked out. Now they have a separate location. And now here's, here's the thing. Maybe in school, maybe her ultimate dream in ballet, maybe to be in a big production or New York, or I don't know where that would be. But I need to learn this stuff since I do have four daughters. But at any rate, she may have stopped at three. She may have stopped at that five times around Jericho. But all of a sudden, she joins a family, and the family also cares about her target and her being launched. And all of a sudden, God awakens these dreams again to say, wait, it, it may look a little different, but it's actually going to be better. And let me tell you a couple ways that it's better that she was sharing and that she shared with us is a couple ways is first off, she now gets to teach others. And my daughters have been part of programs and every, it's funny, Heather, you may not know this, but at least once a week, the girls had asked her calls and said, okay, put your, put your shoe in. Jesus, I turn my heart to you. And there's some other stuff. And we say like this prayer kind of thing. And I was like, that's amazing. Here's the deal. Her dream went from a personal dream to leaving a legacy to teaching young girls about their value in Christ and them as daughters and beautiful dancers in worship. If I had, if you had stopped at three, you know, life would have been a lot different. Girls wouldn't have been touched the way you're touching them. A business wouldn't be impacting their community the way. A church wouldn't be blessed by a, by a dance that's going on on Christmas. Listen, when we transition from, from seeing in the natural to seeing the eternal, all of a sudden God awakens dreams and we won't stop at three. 
It'll be four, five, six. It'll be seven times around, seven dips. Then all of a sudden, we're merged and we're, we're converged and we're transformed. Why don't you stand with me? I've got to get to our canon. No, I'm just Oh, this has been a fun series. It's awakened something in me, something that I'm passionate about, to honor those above me, to honor my dad and my grandpa. I'm a third-generation pastor, naturally and, and spiritually. I have a mentor, Leif, and, and he has one, Jack Taylor. So I have this rich inheritance, rich blessing that, you know, you guys got to be a part of, of experiencing the interview with my dad a couple weeks ago in 21 years, 21 years. I shared in the first service about Saul. Saul offered his armor to, to David, and he was being a father figure, like, hey, take this, be protected, go. And then all of a sudden, once they won the battle, and everybody started chanting, you know, Saul will kill 1,000, but David, 10,000. And then it says Saul was stricken with jealousy for the rest of his life. The difference between a father and a son is a father gives it all away. A father looks beyond himself, beyond his agenda, beyond the now, beyond the natural, and thinks eternal, thinks 100 years, thinks legacies, thinks three generations. My dad, when my mom passed away, he, he thought like that. He said, this was your mom and I's thing. I can't pastor without her. I want to be a part. You and Nicole are the natural successors. Most of the people here know you. They came here for you. So now here we are because he looked past his agenda. He looked past what he thought he could accomplish. And now that week we interviewed him, he admitted, like, this is way beyond what I thought it could be. He's like, I knew it could be this, but I knew it wasn't probably going to be through me. But to reach the nations, that's way beyond I could ask, think, or imagine. Now here we are reaching nations and doing all these cool things through Upper Room. Why? Because we have a legacy inheritance here. We're thinking beyond a generation. We're thinking multiple generations down. You're saved from something to be saved for something. It's time to move beyond ourselves. But listen, when we, when we come up to that Jordan, it may cost us something before we can go to the promised land. We may need to be circumcised. That dipping in the Jordan seven times was also a dying to self. That symbolized death the same way Jesus was baptized in the Jordan and we get baptized today is that we die to ourselves to take on the new name, the new creature, the newness of Jesus. The old man's dead and now the new gets to live. Sometimes we just need to remind that man he's still dead. At least I do. Listen, it's a legacy. It's a generational movement. There's a convergence that's happening, and we get to be a part of it. And let me just tell you, these millennials and Gen Zers are amazing. And guess what, Gen Z and millennials? The generation above you are amazing, and they have so much to offer. Let me pray for you. Lord, I just thank you for what's happening. We thank you for the inheritance of you, that you are the greatest legacy. You of all things, if we could pass you on, Lord, if we, could, if we could just share your gospel and your good news everywhere, if we could give you to our children and grandchildren and future children, Jesus, we just, you are the legacy. You are the greatest legacy. Lord, let us not lose heart. Let us not grow weary. Let us not lose focus, Lord. Let us not stop at three if we're intended to go six. Let us not stop at five if we're intended to be seven, Lord. Lord, we just thank you. We, we cherish our history. We cherish the generations before us. We're content for the now. We're present in this moment. We're content. We're thankful for where we are. Lord, we look forward to where we're going. We thank you for the future generations. Bless them, Lord. 
Lord, let us, let us die to self. Let us die to our agendas. Let us die to any of our selfish ambitions. Lord, let us give you glory. Let us think a hundred years. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. We bless you, Father.